Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrew and I'm here this week with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And we're discussing how wise or not it was of Theresa May to call a snap election. Peter, you have some thoughts on this. Yes, yeah, so I, it's an interesting uh, case. We Obviously, she didn't do nearly as well as everyone in the Tory party hoped. Um, and... Uh, Everyone's now calling to question: Was it was it a sensible thing to do? Was it a bad decision? Um, and uh, on the face of it, yes, it looks like it was a bad a bad. It looks like a bad call. Uh, on the face of it, it, looks like a bad call. They they didn't. So get... the immediate aftermath, everyone goes, "Oh, what a stupid thing to do! That was so Id- idiotic to do that. What a terrible decision you made." Exactly. At the time. Yeah. So she's getting a lot of negative press, uh, and uh, she her leadership is uh, uh, is like is likely to get challenged, and so. And she's not achieved any of the aims that she really set out to achieve during the during the election. So yes, the outcome is very bad. Well, however, this I think is a useful, uh, is a good excuse to talk about um, a phenomenon where actually you can, it is possible to make uh, have a bad outcome that results from what is a good decision. Uh, and there is a distinction there because the the decision you make in the past. Uh, you only have a certain set of information. You only know a certain amount about the world, and your decision is is separate from the world. You don't. If you had all the information, yes, you'd probably make a different decision. But you only have a a subset of information that's either available or the, just information that's just not there because of random events, weirdness, and and uh, what what is often bagged together as luck. So that being the case, we'll start off with this example that we've begun with, and then perhaps we'll broaden it out. But can we? build a build a case in this example of why it might have been a good decision to take at the time either peter or nick uh, yeah well i think yeah her her decision was largely based on um uh, polls and information she got about the what 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 the likely level what the level of support that she had um from 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 the from the voting public uh, and what that would likely translate to uh, in the number in the number of seats uh, and that the court, the decision to have the election was six weeks prior to the election. So what, what was the date? Around roughly April time. So um, she, at that time, it looked like it would have been an easy win. It looked like she would have got a strong majority. Um, but it, it then it trans, you know, as as things played out, as as the world rolled on a few notches, um, things seemed to change, and the, the the popular support that she had seemed to somewhat evaporate. Um, and uh, those six weeks give you a lot of time to make silly, silly mistakes. I mean, well, I, I don't, I, I'm not even sure it's silly mistakes here. It's hard to point to anything Theresa May did. I mean, people have pointed to things like not appearing on a TV debate. Um, but also Corbyn, uh, you know, was just a roaring success. I think it's probably more attributable to, to him um, just playing very well with the electorate. Uh, perhaps tapping into a spirit of, you know, change, the same kind of spirit of change which perhaps has been, you know, uh, shown itself elsewhere, like in, in France and, uh, you know, in mm. well, one could say with Brexit and with, uh, with you know, in the, um, in the with the US election. Um, but I think the, the uh, you can certainly, certainly say that this was on average, right, a good gamble. I mean, whether or not you thought that she should be trying to achieve what she was trying to achieve, let's assume that she wanted to uh 
to increase a majority. Now, you might say that's not necessarily a good thing. What that would have mean, what that would mean is, you know, we would have a kind of, you know, effectively a kind of complete green light to whatever they wanted to do. And actually a few checks and balances making making them be more consensual might be a good thing. But forget about that. Let's just see, let's focus on the aim, which was to increase her majority. It looks almost certain that that would happen i mean the thing is opinion polls on average don't don't move uh, i mean obviously they do go up and down but if you want a good prediction of what the opinion polls are going to say in a year's time just look at them now um you know that that so it, they had something like a 20 point lead i mean it, a really really almost unprecedented change in um in uh you know the the, the tory lead between the announcement and the election uh it was huge and um uh, so, you know, could you have predicted that? Well, I mean, obviously, because of hindsight bias, which I think we covered before, we all think we could. You know, it's all very well to look at Theresa May and say, you look how weak she com- weak she seems compared to Jeremy Corbyn, who's got a clear vision and, you know, credibility, and he seems authentic, and Theresa May hasn't got any of those things. But, you know, bear in mind that in 1981... Margaret Thatcher was in a very similar position. She was hugely unpopular. There had been a big recession, which, you know, is more or less agreed to be the inevitable result of the inflation of the 70s. Um, and, uh, you know, she was on she was on something like um, 16% popularity in 1981. And then the Falklands happened and she was on 51%, a scant year ahead. And, you know, was hugely popular for the rest of her tenure, more or less. And um, <clears throat> there's no reason to think that that wouldn't have happened. I'm not suggesting there might have been another sort of war but but it the just some kind of surprising thing in a six-week period yeah it's not all very well looking back and saying oh isn't may a weedy but she could might well have turned out it could have been the making of her she yeah. could have turned out to be brilliant yeah i mean i'm more or less willing to go with the argument i think in this particular instance i've seen elsewhere someone saying that and this is not to do with hindsight saying at the time actually you can't just go off a general um you can't just go off the general polling um and it's more the, the the amounts of swing that she would have needed in in certain constituencies would have had to have been huge and so actually it was more of a gamble than it looked like just by going through from the popularity well polling. no i but, mean I, but, I re- but yeah, anyway okay, i'm willing let's run we, with that well let's put that aside anyway because i still want to sort of go with this idea that you can make a, a good decision even if it results in a bad outcome um can we broaden that out i mean well i can tr- i can move it to a, uh, to another thing yeah which is um well, it's the, the concept of Sklansky dollars. So so basically, in order to evaluate how good a decision was, you had to look at what information that the, the, the decision maker had. And you have to kind of analyze what is the expected outcome. So you take all the possible futures and you kind of work out, take their, how probable they all are and, and look at how good they would be. You know, so even a decision with a very small chance of success you know, like a like a risky rescue mission or something it might still be a good decision. You might be certain it's going to fail, but the outcome might be might be so good that it's worth a you know a ten percent shot. Um, you know, good decision making is not just about let's let's do the thing that is most likely to succeed. It's about weighing up the benefits and the costs. And the so, sorry, what outcomes. is the Slansky dollar? Right, thing? the Slansky dollar comes from poker. Right, so it's a, a way of trying to get poker players to think in terms of expected outcomes and not in terms of what the outcome actually was so so you you know a good if you make a big call in a poker game so just a bit of background in poker um profit rates are tiny right a really really good poker player might expect to win five big bets out of every hundred hands right uh, sorry big blinds which to put it in context if we're playing a game of poker where the blinds so they're kind of anti if you're used to thinking like that is kind of two two pounds 
on average per per hand a really really good poker player and this is just the ante right just the thing that starts out in the pot will expect to make like 10p a hand so a really good poker player the the profit rates are tiny compared to the size of the swing in any given hand poker players make profit because they make a few really good calls generally about big pots and they make lots of really good calls at folding uh for pots where they think they just don't have enough of an edge to justify paying the money to stay in um so uh sklansky who was a sort of poker one of the 1970s generation of sort of poker theorists uh came up with this idea of a sklansky dollar which is how much should you have expected to win it's a straightforward concept but it is really helpful for poker players to to have a framework for saying look um, I shouldn't beat myself up about the fact that this guy just got really lucky at the end. I made the right call. When I put my $40 in, you know, I would I was expecting to win $10 on average. You know, I had a I had a, you know, let's say 75% chance of winning or something and he just lucked out. That was still a good move and you need to not condition your future behavior on what actually happened. You need to condition it on what you uh, what what on average would have happened on what based would, on yeah, yeah so a skansky dollar is what you win by doing a positive expectation play even if you actually lose real dollars and and actually that skansky dollars are better in the long run yeah because it'll all even out if you follow the correct yeah the, um, fli- the, the flip side do have a flip side of that gone well in most real life cases you don't actually know what the expectation is we, we actually don't most yeah. of the time have a means of putting probabilities on outcomes very robustly and most of the time to be honest especially in politics it's a guess it's people so can you intuition. sketch that out for me in an example well it, i mean well it's a really big decision like you know invading iraq in 2003 there was no absolutely no structured cost benefit analysis went into that it was uh you know done on the basis of uh, more or less just the usual things that happen meetings a kind of sense that this is going to happen anyway you know um what kind of vague big handful stuff about strategic alliance with the u.s democratizing iraq blah blah blah. there wasn't really any kind of sense of well the era of sort of five scenarios the different likelihoods which ones do we really want which ones are bad um you know so real life decisions uh are like that and uh so how do we know with a, a real life decision is good and actually even in poker we don't necessarily know we don't often have the information if we fold we don't we don't get to see what the other person had you can only do it in the long run more or less you have to look at performance over time a bad outcome actually is evidence unless we know otherwise is evidence not it's not conclusive but a bad outcome is evidence that someone might be a bad decision maker it supports the theory that they're not very good they're not making the right decisions so you know in real life it does make sense perhaps to look at outcomes as evidence for the quality of a decision but they you sh- we shouldn't ever put too much on that we've got to understand how much is down to the um, randomness in the system and how much that person could be expected to have information yeah. beforehand you know the more random a system is i.e the less information you have the less e- the less good that evidence is the less useful outcomes are uh, and in addition to make it, it, being, it being very difficult to predict the likelihood of various uh, outcomes, it's also in in poker it's relatively easy to do this, but in the real world it's very difficult to value the outcomes in terms of what what it is you gain and what it is you lose. So um, there's no winning a general election. You can't you can't really put a price on that very easily in terms of what what does, what does that give you in terms of influence and uh, what is, what is an additional seat in the house worth. Uh, in in some sort of measure that you can then compare with other without with other outcomes, in poker it's easy because you can you can calculate the winnings on any game, and so you can derive kind of the what the uh, the the value of a particular outcome is with respect to other outcomes. Mm. 
Um, but I mean, even when we, we, our urge to blame bad outcomes on people is so strong that even where we can, even when we've got really good data, uh, we still are looking for, we still try and assign outcomes to, to stupid behavior. And I mean, the, the classic example for me is the, because I'm not a big soccer fan, I kind of find this amusing. Uh, but the fact that, you know, managers of football teams are constantly, they're being, they get sacked if their team does badly, you know, mm. in a way that's completely consistent with chance. There's a guy called um, uh, Shemansky who's, who's looked at the, the data, looked at basically trying to work out what predicts football success. Do managers make a difference? And the answer is no, right? The only thing that makes a difference to your team's chances of winning, by and large, is how much you pay the players. You buy, you spend more on players, you get better players, you're more likely to win. Managers have almost no influence. And yet we can't, we can't stop sacking managers, you know, especially poor old England managers. It's the worst job in the world. <laughs> All they've got to do is lose three matches on the bounce and they're out. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the flip side is probably doesn't matter if you do that because they're not doing much anyway. Well maybe, maybe, well, maybe it's difficult to see what effect they're having because they don't stick around long enough. Well, there's um, that, yeah. Actually, that sort of makes me think there's something interesting that they do in American football. The irony of having what is, in effect, a socialist system within a game that is emblematic of a country that's the most dynamic is economy this the draft in the world, you're talking about? which is the draft system that they have, where I think, how does it work? Is that the well, it's, the a, le- it's, a, it's about as bonkers as their electoral system. Yeah, go on. I you, can't, you I can't, no, I, I, don't, I don't understand it at all. Well, basically, so I think... Well, basically, the, they get they get dealt out like a pack of cards, don't no, they? No, well, I think the way it is, is that I think the American university system feeds the professional system, and all the players are rated... And and let's say I don't think there are twenty teams, but let's say there are twenty teams. I think it's more like fifteen. Um, but the the best rated um, graduate from college goes to the worst performing team from the year before, and 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 so on, and it and continues. The second best goes to the second worst, and and you cycle through all the players until they all get dealt out, which is um, yeah, which is unlike let's say European soccer where it's just all money. Yeah, um, but on the other hand, yeah, no, you're right. But on the other hand, obviously, that that could well make it more exciting. Oh no, absolutely, it does. Yeah, one of the things does, they... you, you want to have close competition. That's what makes it fun. Yeah, absolutely, and that, and that sort of yeah, yeah, and that's what people like. But it about must lead it. to weird incentives. It strikes me you probably wouldn't want to be the best guy in your college. Yeah, something. Yeah. And and uh, or at least the, the best, you don't want to be the best guy on paper. Yeah, and you don't really want to be the best team in any given year. <laughs> You'd rather Except be in the you middle. Except you sort of do yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah but you're, you're then sort of punished for doing well. Yeah, but but uh, look, yeah. we're we're getting close. I think that's called rubber banding. Yeah, yeah. They use it. It's not like it, it's a way that computer games cheat. So in a driving game, uh, if if you have rubber banding, it basically gives you a bonus if you're doing badly and slows down the the cars yeah. in front. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, look, we're close to sort of wrapping this up. I mean, one thing that interests me is looking back at one's own personal decisions and whether they were good or not. I can talk about we can talk about that, or we can go off in a different direction. Well, I think maybe, maybe we should we should talk about what you can do with your with your lot as a decision maker. There what, we go. What, what yeah. you can what you can do. Um, so I think there are a few things that when you're making decisions that you should do to really just to. Um, save your skin in in the future uh mm. if nothing else um although you know good 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 decision making is something you can get better at you can you can you can get better at calculating the outcomes you can get better at working out the probabilities of certain outcomes um it doesn't all of that effort doesn't guarantee a good result so at the end when a bad result happens through some external influence 
you want to be able to say, here's my audit trail, here's why I had that made that decision. So really simple things like recording all as many assumptions as you can about why what led you to think the world was going to be a certain way and where possible employing a robust method that exposes all of the potential outcomes and robust methods for scoring or valuing those outcomes in terms of what you know what, what what's good and what's bad for for, for you or uh, based around what whatever it is you're trying to try, trying to achieve so you know having an audit trail um is essential in some disciplines like law and uh, insurance and things you know, they have a they have a reason to value things in a certain way um but is often lacking in business decisions and things like that. And it's weird. I don't know why you would want to not do it that way. It's always surprised me. Same with politics as well. Politicians are always being very obfuscatory about their reasons for doing things. And you just think, look, if you don't have a reason, why are you doing it? You know, um, it's it's very strange. But I think that, and also just to add to what Peter said about how to do it better, if you're um, if you're not the decision maker, but you're trying to appraise someone else's decision. Uh, the extent to which you can use the outcome to do that is driven by how much information that person had or could have had uh, at the time they made that decision. That's really what it comes down to. Um, you know, anything that happened afterwards is, is you know, no, especially if it was driven by very low probability surprises, uh, should they will weaken the the evidence value of the outcome. As mm-hmm. a means of a pre, but you should still do it. I mean, I mean, outcomes are evidence in the long run. Certainly, out you know, if someone keeps getting bad outcomes, they've got to start taking a look at themselves in the mirror and saying, maybe this, is, maybe maybe I am the problem. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, and, and having that audit trail is also very useful as your as a decision maker for the future decisions. Because if something, if you've got a robust method and you've got uh, you've recorded all your assumptions and you've got a record of what data you had, and something ha- other ha- something else happens. That's something else then to consider, along with all the list of things you considered last time for the next decision of that kind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you're you're you you have a, a, a you know you got something to build on for next time. Well, we've got just enough, enough time. This makes me think of a decision I made about two and a half years ago, which was whether to go into business with a certain person or not, um, and to become partners. And is this going to be dirty laundry time? <laughs> yeah, and um, and I just I decided. Um, so I decided to go into business with that person and it, in many ways it's not worked out well um, and looking back at my decision I think well what could I've were, were the, was the writing on the wall was there something I sort of was there good evidence supporting a different decision and actually there probably was which was actually I it took me a long time or it took a long time for that person to get back to me and fully engage with my proposal um, months maybe and but I wanted very much to go into business with this person for different reasons. Um, but I think there was a warning sign right there because actually one of the problems with the business turned out to be was a lack of engagement from that person, which is exactly what that person had shown um, in that bit before committing. And so I guess, you know, the lesson is there for me now. And But I think that's one of those examples actually it was probably not a good decision despite a bad outcome it was a bad decision with a bad outcome <laughs> well, I, I mean just thinking about setting up Aleph Insights so when I set this company up yeah. a couple of years two, two and a half years ago again um, I, you know I, looking back I mean we've, we've been uh, I, I would say probably about as successful as kind of our upper 
estimate of the kinds of things we were expecting to achieve which is great you know it's done really but um you know i know i know that i did not foresee that and a lot of it has been uh, driven by um you know some fairly chance events happening to know the right person to collaborate with happening to you know get uh, get onto a particular framework at the right time and, and a bunch of other things you know so i i much as i'd love to sit there and t- take credit for being some kind of business genius uh, I actually know that that uh, you know it may have been on average a good decision, but it wasn't as good a decision as the outcome might suggest. Well, we're going to have to wrap up there, and unfortunately, I'm going to have to finish thing on a, on a negative note, which is Nick. I'm going to have to disagree with you because actually, you are a business genius. Thanks, Fraser. Um, Thank you um, to Peter Coghill and Nick Hare. I'm Fraser McGrew. You've been listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. Thanks as always. And until next time, bye-bye.